The following is a recording for Andrea Murta with the Atlantic Council of the U.S. on Monday, January 30, 2017, at 1 p.m. Central Time. Excuse me, everyone. We now have all of our speakers in conference. Please be aware that each of your lines is in a listen-only mode. And at the conclusion of today's presentation, we'll open the floor for questions. And at that time, instructions will be given as to the procedure to follow if you would like to ask a question. I'd now like to turn today's call over to Mr. Peter Schechter, Vice President of the Atlantic Council for Strategic Initiatives and Director of the Adrian Arsht Latin American Center. You may now begin. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks a lot for taking time um, just after lunch to join us. Um, we're going to try to do in the next 45 minutes something which is very difficult to do with this very, very major story because it has a lot of permutations and ramifications in immigration, in trade, and security. And, of course, the hemisphere itself and the rest of the world are watching how the new administration um, and the government of Mexico are going to try to uh, find a way to come together in some type of agreement, or, uh, is it, or, or will that be impossible? There is, there's really been a swirl of confusion about where we're heading next, and uh, we at the Atlantic Council and at the Adrian Arsh Latin America Center really believe that it's fundamental for all of us who are interested in our country's uh, relationship with Mexico not to take our eyes off this issue, and it's important that we talk about this. And we have two extraordinary speakers who are going to try to help us uh, make sense of where we're going. And, and you know, I, I want to just in this very brief opening remarks just remind everybody that excellent ties between Mexico and the United States are not a given. We've become accustomed in the last 30 years to having increasingly close ties with our southern, uh, with our southern neighbor with a border that is functional, efficient. Uh, I think the story of the airport, uh, of the shared airport of Tijuana, San Diego, is really a great example of what this story of what this border can be, um, and you know I think as we are as we are looking, we, one of the things that we have to be worried about is whether whether Mexicans now are questioning what is the unquestionable, which is did the country make a mistake 25 years ago in placing its bet, placing its future. Uh, in, in North America. And, and I think that that's something that is, that is, uh, that Mexicans are certainly asking themselves and we will be asking our speakers to, to comment on that. Um, it, I think as we, as we talk, we're going to try to talk about border protection. We're going to talk about NAFTA. Certainly these, it is the prerogative of the United States to secure its border and to request a modernization of NAFTA, but I think as we go forward, everybody will be looking at how the tone of the conversation and the negotiation goes, as well as the substance. Obviously, there is a deep concern that a lot of the risk between the United States, the potential risk between the United States and Mexico can only strengthen the candidacy of Andres Manuel López Obrador uh, in the next year and a half. So uh, I want to give this quickly over to our, uh, to our um, Speakers, and I'm going to introduce Jason Marzak, uh, who is the director of the Latin America Economic Growth Initiative here at our center, to moderate the rest of this, center, this conversation. Thanks a lot again for joining us. 
Thanks, Peter. And again, thank you, everyone, for joining us. I think as we've seen in the last 10 days, which the whirlwind of which makes it seem like it potentially could have been the last month, but just it has only been 10 days, things are going to be moving very fast. And this is the beginning of the, uh, a series of rapid reaction calls uh, that we here at the Adrian Arsh Latin America Center will be doing to, um, as things develop uh, on Mexico and other issues affecting the, the hemisphere. To provide some clarity to uh, what has uh, happened uh, in the last week, two very highly knowledgeable uh, speakers. Uh, what we're going to do is we'll have opening questions for them uh, and then leave plenty of time for uh, questions uh, from everybody on the line uh, today. A reminder, to today's call is public and it is on the record. And I also want to, before introducing the speakers, uh, note that both are speaking in their personal capacities. Uh, so first, Jose Cardenas. Jose is, has served in senior positions in the Department of State, uh, the National Security Council, and the U.S. Agency for International Development, where he was acting administrator for Latin America and the Caribbean. He's also served as a senior advisor to the Secretary General of the Organization of American States and is a senior professional staff member and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, also on the line is Julio Madrazo. Julio is a board member of the Mexican Council of Foreign Affairs, uh, referred to called COMEXI, which is one of the most important think tanks in Mexico. He is also a founder of the consultancy De La Calle Madrazo Montera, and he's also a columnist at the leading Mexican newspaper El Financiero. He served as a political advisor for former Mexican President Ernesto Zedillo, and also as a director of special projects for another Mexican president, uh, Carlos Salinas. So, Jose and Julio, thank you both very much for uh, joining this call and for the uh, the tall order of, of providing uh, uh, clarity to a situation I think is very much uh, unfolding. So, just to begin our, our our call on Jose, I want to start. I'll start with you. Uh, I think what went down uh, last week in many ways seems like a a a, a, um, a lack of coordination. We had four Mr. Vigaray and and Washington just at the same time that the uh, that the meeting between uh, preparing for the meeting uh, as the, as that meeting between President uh, Trump and President Pinieto originally scheduled for tomorrow was canceled. So a couple of just questions for you, Jose, as you're as you're giving your initial impressions of where the situation stands. But first, how do you see what happened last week as affecting future U.S.-Mexico policy? Do we know what transpired during the phone call, the follow-up phone call that uh, took place on Friday? And then also politically, can President Trump work with President Pinieto to find compromises, or is he now boxed into a certain position? Thanks, uh, Jason, and, and thanks, Peter, uh, and the Atlantic Council for the opportunity to be here. Um, as uh, relates to your question, it certainly was disappointing um, last week's uh, a course of events uh, in that we uh, are encountering further delays in actually sitting down and talking about these issues with our, our partners in Mexico. Um, I think that, that once we um, we get out of the uh, out from uh, behind the podiums and into the nego negotiating rooms, I think that uh, that that's when um, you know we can we can get back down to business and, and talk about these issues. As Peter said, uh, it's entirely legitimate. Uh, what uh, President Trump has said he wants to do in terms of improving uh, border security and updating NAFTA. There's no argument uh, from me there. Um, where, where I would like to um, perhaps uh, add my voice is uh, perhaps uh, some words of caution 
to the Trump administration on its uh, strategy and tactics as we move forward. Um, and what I, mean, what I mean by that is perhaps uh, to be cognizant of the costs and repercussions and the unintended consequences of uh, perhaps uh, how we are approaching these, how this, the U.S. government, how the, the administration would, would, uh, is approaching the, um, the, the negotiations with, with Mexico. You know, last week I, um, I told a, a reporter that it seems to me that this may be um, uh, the New York real estate world meets statecraft, and, and I can't help but wonder if perhaps this is um, this is uh, Donald Trump's mo is that you you work your opponent over before you ever sit down, so that he is basically by by at some point um, having enough uh, uh, of being pummeled. Uh, they are they are desperate to sit down and and, uh, and begin negotiations from from a weakened uh, position. Um, again, that's just my my own uh, uh, observation from the how things have proceeded up till now. Now, I hope that my 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 biggest hope. Uh, as we move forward in this bilateral relationship, which, as uh, Peter uh, uh, correctly stated at the top of the uh, of the call, about how important it is for both our countries, and what 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 I would hope is that the um, and and I'm sure uh, there would be plenty of comment on this is that our our Mexican partners don't kick over the table, that they stay engaged, um, and that uh, they. Don't walk away from the bargaining table. I think that what we need the, as soon as possible is to get into a negotiating environment. Um, I would urge my my uh, my Mexican friends to put your own proposals on the table. Um, let's let's begin because Mexico has its own leverage uh, leverages in these talks. So let's let's get to the table. Now that's going to require uh, uh, an amount of of um, Skill and political leadership by President Peña Nieto, uh, who's in a very difficult position right now, and uh, he's going to have to convince uh, his uh, his electorate that we have to they they have to be focused on the long game here. Yes, this moment is very difficult. It's very difficult for the Mexican people, but we have to keep our eye on the ball. That the long-term prosperity of Mexico uh, uh, mandates that we stay engaged on this. Now, if the talks break down and, and, um, and, and don't go the way of a, a productive resolution, then I understand that too. But at least let's get to the table. Let's get out from behind the podiums. Let's get to the table. Great. Thanks, thanks Jose. Um, as a follow question, I want to bring Julio in first. Um, Julio, there, there's a number of different, you know, I think very much in the United States, this has been framed from a, Kind of a U.S. perspective on the on the relationship between uh, uh, the two leaders now and, and and the two countries, but I want to ask you how how did how did domestic factors uh, shape domestic factors in Mexico shape President Peña's decision um, uh, from his end uh, 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 not to uh, uh, come to the United States and and also to do this on Thursday rather rather than Wednesday, rather than doing this on Wednesday. Um, in, in the same regard, also is. President Peñito now locked into a tougher line, and what does all this mean for relationship moving forward? Um, has the what happened over the last week and 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 also over the campaign 
does that result in an irreparable souring of the relationship, or is there a way, as Jose says, is there a way to for the for Mexico to to move forward? No, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you again to the Atlantic Council, Pietro, all of you, and, and Jose for the opportunity to uh, discuss. And I hope that our callers, our audience, finds this useful. I think that there is a lot of room still to work together. Um, it's not only that they need to stay behind the podiums, but they need to stay away from Twitter rather than the podiums. Um, and particularly Mr. Trump. President Trump, uh, actually on Friday, one of the important things that came out of that call is that there was a joint statement saying that uh, they wouldn't be making any public announcement or any public comment regarding the negotiation until we have things to communicate together. That, to me, is the first step that was key uh, if we want to eventually get to the table. The second thing I would say, and, and going back to what Pietro started saying, is that for 20 years we had had a very close relationship, and we all made the mistake to take it for granted. Uh, here, business people in the U.S. and Mexico, government in the U.S. and Mexico, stopped uh, and and uh, and, act, and took for granted, stopped working on. Uh, on, on making people understand in all three countries why more integration and more economic integration was needed between our three nations to solve every issue that we share. All of the problems that we share, most of them are common, uh, uh, need <clears throat> uh, more integration of our economies, our societies, and uh, not less. And by putting walls, uh, we're walking in the wrong direction. And I mentioned the wall because I think that is the issue today. Uh, even uh, I've seen polls in Mexico uh, over the weekend. The outrage is enormous. And where President Peña has, uh, is going to have each time a harder space to move is precisely in the thing that is the most uh, stupid, if you will, issue regarding what we need to negotiate. If we want to update NAFTA, if we want to make uh, a stronger and a more prosperous North America zone, uh, the wall is only a matter of trouble. And uh, you saw the demonstrations in, over the U.S. in the United States, in Boston, D.C., L.A., everywhere not only in the airports, but also in the cities. The wall is in every one of those demonstrations. Americans saying no to the wall, not only Mexicans. So uh, to me, in the statement on Friday, the only thing that should have been stated differently is that we will not pay for that wall. That wall can be built, if you will, in the U.S. If that's a public policy that the new administration wants to follow. And the second thing I would say, uh, just to end this, is that the table needs to be a plural table. The president of Mexico has said that the negotiation is to be uh, to cover all of our agenda, not only manufacturing. As you are all very much aware, there's a letter that was received last Monday 
from the agricultural sector in the U.S., which makes the case how good NAFTA has been agricultural sector in the U.S. and how productive and how much it has been. So we need to set up a table in which all actors are, are included, all voices are heard, and it becomes, it becomes an institutional space to talk about how to move forward. And uh, this is not the White House Los Pinos conversation anymore. NAFTA is much bigger than that. Julio, thank you very much. And just a quick follow-up. So, on your, on the, you, you referred to the, the, uh, the, 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 not only the purchase of the United States, but the, the, the push, the, the protest, the anxiety in Mexico as well. Um, there has been, you know, over the weekend, over the last few days, a campaign around boycotting uh, a number of different U.S. businesses and whatnot. Does, does that type of and, – and, and, you know, you mentioned, Peter mentioned at the beginning, the, the fact that we shouldn't take for granted the U.S.-Mexico relationship. Does all of this um, uh, box Pinonieto in to a position in which, in which it's going to be much tougher for him to uh, – politically in, in Mexico to uh, uh, find uh, – strike a deal with President Trump? Well, two things here, and one thing Jose mentioned is that both sides need, seem they are desperate. Here, there's no rush. Neither Mexico nor the U.S. should be desperate, nor Canada, to find a better deal for the three of our countries to move forward for the next 20 years in social, economic, and security issues. Our agenda is really one and the same. So there's no desperation, nor there should be any rush. When... Uh, but when you see all of those people on the street, not only people on the street, you've seen many, many videos, many, many articles. It's in the, you know, the entire world is watching this. And, uh, and President Trump has had his first big share of, uh, of I would say, of fiasco at politics. So uh, what President Peña is going to have a hard time doing in my opinion, is trying to keep this as a, you know, negotiation between the, his administration and the Trump administration. He should be, and, and in, in his, really I strongly believe in Mexico's best interest, is that we should have a plural and a comprehensive conversation with every actor. When you see the letter of the agriculture industry, I mean, their exports have gone from $9 billion to nearly $40 billion in 20 years. Um, the, the growth of what they produce has gone from $130 billion to $423 billion of economic activity in the U.S. So this is not a deal where the U.S. loses and Mexico wins. So we got to get away not only from Twitter, but also from the simplistic, false affirmations of what NAFTA has done. Yeah. Julio, I want to I want to make sure that everyone on the call knows that if you want if you have a question, press star one, and what we have it we'll have a queue, and we will take questions in an order in which people are joining the queue. So again, press star one to join the question queue. And then if your question has been answered, you'd like to pull out, press star 2, and you'll be removed from the queue. So, again, star 1 to, 
to, to join. I just want to, uh, Jose, bring Jose back in, into the conversation here. Uh, Jose, uh, we were talking about domestic factors in, in Mexico, and uh, as many people, some people on this call know and some might not know that there are presidential elections in Mexico uh, next year, and that the U.S.-Mexico uh, friction may very well serve uh, the independent candidate uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador well, uh, uh, referred to as AMLO, and AMLO has actually already announced, I think, in the last few days, a, a U.S. tour that he's going to be taking. Um, you wrote, Jose, uh, just last week uh, about the implications of, of, of this. What, what, in your perspective, what would an AMLO presidency, how, do the, how does the current friction provide more uh, uh, firepower for an AMLO presidency, and what would, what would that mean for bilateral ties and for the border region specifically? Thanks, Jason. Um, yes, I, um, one of my biggest concerns um, as we head down this uncertain path is the political implications uh, affecting the, the presidential election in Mexico next year. As we know, AMLO has been a perennial candidate for the last few years. He is not uh, many uh, Mexicans' uh, cup of tea um, what with his um, strident rhetoric and his uh, uh, propensity to use uh, street uh, mobilizations um, to get his way or at least make his political points. But what I'm concerned about is that if, if the, the U.S.-Mexico relationship becomes so polarized or else, um, uh, again, does not uh, sort of ease into a, uh, a, a negotiating context, that I see that the, the one uh, a Mexican politician that stands to gain the most is Lopez Abador. And what is his, uh, what is his threat? Well, obviously I don't, I don't expect that, uh, that we're going to, uh, he's, we're going to have a war or anything with Mexico. But what I, what I would see, uh, under a Lopez and AMLO presidency is a downgrading of ties with the United States. A lot of people don't understand how deeply, um, how deep the engagement is on, for example, uh, security. Ever since President Bush, uh, Pres uh, George W. Bush met with uh, President Calderon in Merida, um, there has been a uh, really a quite uh, unprecedented amount of uh, cooperation on uh, security threats. And, and I think that that is one of the untold, untold success stories of the U.S.-Mexico relationship in recent years. And, for example, on cooperation on such thing as, as migration. Um, you know, the numbers are something like uh, since uh, 2013, Mexico has stopped uh, almost half a billion uh, Central Americans uh, trying to, to cross the border. So I would see, and the biggest threat to U.S. interests of an AMLO presidency is to start seeing a, a dialing back, a, a, a withdrawal of Mexico from these uh, cooperative uh, uh, ventures that, that truly, truly help uh, U.S. security and U.S. interests. Uh, thanks, Jose. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, Julio, on, on your point on the agriculture sector, there's, I think we could we could spend the next half hour uh, with with different uh, pieces of information about the, the importance with which Mexico is for the U.S. agricultural sector. Things like Mexico being the largest foreign customer for U.S. cheese, or Mexico buying one every four pounds of poultry meat, and, and then the specific implications for individual states and and actually for small towns across the United States. But 
Let me, I have plenty more questions, but there are plenty of questions uh, from the nearly 200 people who are on this phone call. So uh, the first question uh, we'll, I'll take is from, uh, who's the first person to join in the, the question queue, it's from Raphael Bernal with The Hill. Raphael, go ahead. Hi, uh, thank you for having the call. Um, I, I've talked to some Republican strategists that say that Trump's strategy with Mexico is essentially to show the world, particularly China, that he can he can bully another country around, and uh, that means that there's basically it's basically not in the Mexican hands to do that. How much credibility do you do you add to that uh, to that kind of thought? Well, I this is uh, this is Jose. I I I don't know. I I don't think that um, that uh, to me that in watching um, all last year and and watching the uh, uh, the, the campaign and and the uh, and since um, President Trump has been sworn in, I, I there is an element of of chaos, uh, but. I believe that that he has a he has his objectives and his goals. I, I don't think that I, I think he's more uh, to, to me. Trump comes off as more uh, focused and, and knows what he's doing um, from a political standpoint and from where he wants to take uh the United States of America. I don't know that it is as as simple as uh as setting up Mexico as simply a punching bag in order to um you know uh intimidate other countries. I think he's got something very specific in mind. Maybe he believes that um you know that the NAFTA model is is obsolete um, in the manufacturing sector, uh, and that he wants to position the United States, reorder uh, the United States economy for the next twenty, thirty years down the road, um, and that is bringing automation. If uh, if we benefit from automation, um, and 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 it has had such a uh, a hit on the manufacturing sector, how long is it before Mexico? Uh, starts introducing uh, automation in its assembly lines, etc. So, what's then? Why is the need to outsource a low low cost labor? Let's bring it home. Let's bring it closer to the consumers. Let's shorten the supply chain. So, I I think he's got something in his mind about the uh, not only about the future of U.S. Mexico relations, but where he sees the U.S. economy in the next ten twenty years. Thank you. Julio, do you want to do you want to uh, respond there, or uh, now I'll go to the next question? No, I would uh, just say that uh, obviously China, the deficit with China is five times larger than with Mexico. The U.S. deficit with Mexico is sixty-five billion. With China, it's almost three hundred fifty billion, and we trade our trade is nearly the same. So sixty-one percent deficit regarding on the trade size with China, and with Mexico as well. So uh, there has to be something else, like Jose is saying, and, uh, and I don't think anyone today, maybe Jed in the White House, understands his father-in-law and the rest of the world, we don't. But uh, nobody has really figured out, you know, 
why is this strategy so uh, clever or why is this when we could understand why he this was a good electoral platform if you will but uh, now that you are in government it really makes very little sense and something else has to be uh, triggering uh, this uh, this policies uh, and I completely agree with Jose regarding uh, a possible government in Mexico taking down the reforms telecommunications energy financial security the reforms that uh, we have been pushing forward that are key for the, uh, US companies and other companies in the world for the for North America to be more prosper and uh, and competitive so um, the 2018 election will certainly be uh, a very close election and this will be in the center of it thanks thanks Leo um, next question from Megan Casella uh, from Politico Hi, you guys. Thanks so much for holding the call. I think this is a question um, for both of you. It's sort of two parts, but one on both sides. Um, can you talk about any specific aspects of NAFTA that the U.S. And, and Mexico might do well to update? Any specific provisions that should be added or updated or removed? That sort of thing. And then uh, you mentioned also that Mexico has a lot of leverage here. And so what are some of the most powerful tools that they have in their arsenal to sort of get the United States to pay attention? And, you know, do you you think they would go so far as to walk away entirely from NAFTA to be the ones that ultimately pull out? Thanks. Okay, great. Thanks, Megan. Who I began with Jose last time. Would you like to start off on this one? Sure. I think that, uh, in my view, starting from everything our two countries have reached with TPP would be the best way to start a negotiation on how to bring NAFTA up to date. Uh, issues on, uh, again, telecommunication, energy, biotechnology, uh, industrial property rights in the Internet, etc. Issues that were not there 25 years ago because they simply did not exist are issues that uh, took a long time to negotiate within TPP uh, to my, the best of my knowledge. Uh, the agreements reach within TPP are very positive. It was a way to bring NAFTA up to date. It was like a NAFTA plus without having to open NAFTA. So the first mistake um, President Trump really did was to kill TPP. And I think that was a big mistake of then candidate Hillary Clinton not to be really open and for uh, international integration and trade and, and, and just a uh, Giving up that agenda as part of her platform, I think, was a big mistake. In any event, that would be the starting point. And then as far as our allies in the U.S. and in Mexico to push that agenda with Trump, is that, uh, like Jose was saying early in the conversation, we need to get to the table and get politics out of the negotiation so we can start looking at serious data and serious evidence on, you know, why NAFTA should be upgraded rather than thrown down the drain. Uh, it makes, it serves, it really doesn't service anyone in real life to kill NAFTA. If we have to kill NAFTA, we'll so be it, and, uh, and we'll have bilateral relationships with uh, Canada and the U.S. But uh, it's 
really, it has no meaning to do that. It's really, really illogical and it's irrational to do it. I agree with uh, with Julio that um, that NAFTA was 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 conceived and constructed in a different era, and uh, there are any number of uh, issues on both sides. The Amer uh, the U.S. private sector um, has uh, a whole list of. Uh, upgrades, improvements that they would like to see. I know, I am, there's no doubt, uh, that the, 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 Me the Mexico side has upgrades and improvements in the agricultural sector. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, uh, there were a lot of, uh, a blowback, uh, from the original, uh, NAFTA to, to the, uh, the Mexican ag agricultural sector, certain interests, uh, that were affected. Um, we've come a long way, but I'm sure that they, that there is any number of uh, of issues now when um it, it is uh, in order to uh uh conform nafta to a, a 21st century 2017 and onward uh global economy uh, there's there's going to be a lot to negotiate a lot to talk about for for the benefit of both sides now um when we get to talk about leverage, um, not only, of course, Mexico has its own interests, its own uh, criticisms, its beefs, maybe th some things in NAFTA did not um, uh, uh, turn out as, as was originally uh, conceived, for example. Um, I remember when I was in government, we had an ongoing problem with the U.S. Uh, uh, dragging its feet in uh, the trucking provisions. Um, this was something that the Mexico that that had been originally part of NAFTA, but we had taken a long time for political reasons uh, in in our own case. So both sides are going to have um, uh, their issues to talk about, and I think that when uh, again on the, on the issue of back to the sorts of uh, cooperative uh policies and and uh where where we cooperate with Mexico on security issues on migration that happens um outside of the Klieg lights um there is we cannot go in US negotiators cannot go into this thinking that uh that those are given it's not blackmail it's not a threat from Mexico but it is simply human nature that um, that that cooperation uh, is uh, will be will not be affected by the course of the broader relationship between our two governments. And, and I think also just to, just to point out, there's also obviously a third country, uh, Canada, that, that would have to be a part of any any eventual uh, NAFTA renegotiation. But you know, I think also. Here in the U.S., right, current U.S.-Mexico trade, there's nearly 5 million Americans who would be out of work uh, whose jobs depend on, on U.S.-Mexico trade and, and a number of states that, uh, um, uh, that depend on Mexico, over 30 states, for over a billion dollars in, in exports. So there would have to be a fundamental, without NAFTA, a fundamental realignment of the uh, North American market, which would have some uh, very severe economic implications. Um, uh, there's more questions here. I want to make sure I get to them. I have my own, but I want to make sure I take, take all these. And again, press star one if you have a question. Uh, the next one came in, is coming in from Chris uh, Woody at uh, Business Insider. Chris, go ahead. Hello. Thank you for taking our calls today. Um, as it relates to Mexican domestic politics, I wondered what, if you, do you guys think that the 
Pinieta and Pioi, they have the ability to use the situation to bring up their flag in approval numbers. And uh, on the other side, the locals Ecuador and the rest of the opposition, what can really, what what do they need to do to kind of carry this boost they've gotten into elections this year and in 2018? Go ahead, Julio. So I, uh, I think that, uh, well, like Jose was saying earlier, President Peña is in a tough position to date in Mexican politics. His popularity numbers are historically low, and uh, the allegations of corruption in governments of the PRI, like Veracruz, Chihuahua, Quintana Roo, are huge. And uh, we are we are seeing no real action against them or other uh, corruption scandals. So uh, the slow growth of the economy, the lagging social uh, inequalities, uh, the, the violence, crime, drugs, and now this uh, this becomes really something that can help Peña and his government. I don't know if it's, it would be enough to turn the electoral, uh, electorate around. Uh, there's a big discussion this week regarding the increase of gasoline. Will it happen or not? It's what's scheduled to happen on February 3rd. If they don't do the increase in price, they need to further cut spending and, uh, and in big numbers. So it's a tough situation both in macroeconomic policies and uh, where, again, the whole world is watching and they know that the room for Mexican fiscal discipline is, has almost disappeared. So, um, so I, I'm not quite sure how much it could help them in the elections of 2017. If a good result of the negotiation would help them in 2018. 17 is in June of this year, so I don't know if there's enough time to, to end a negotiation and actually get a political, uh, some political capital out of it. But, uh, and on the, on the other hand, it makes it very politically uh, useful to bash the U.S. now. So you have Lopez Obrador going to you, the United States with, uh, he's going to visit something like seven different cities. Uh, rallying for the immigrants, and and we'll see how he, what he says about President Trump and his immigration policies. But whatever he says, he'll he'll be moderate. He's in the moderate mood. He's usually in the moderate mood 16 or 18 months before the election, so he'll be moderate. But the images of him rallying with immigrants in the U.S. are images that otherwise wouldn't be very politically relevant, but today they become, you know, very attractive and will keep strengthening him in, in Mexican politics. Yeah, I thank uh, Julio for pointing out the other side of the coin in this. Um, going back to what I said about AMLO and being uh, poised to take most advantage of this, is that uh, Julio described the uh, the current economic difficulties that uh, that the country is facing, based not only but 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 brought on uh, mostly by the, the decline in the um, price of oil and um, and some of the the major reforms um, still. Uh, 
trying to take root that that uh, President Peña Nieto uh, uh, put in uh, implemented in the in the first part of his his. Uh, his tenure, but what 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 it this this economic the economic challenges that the country is going through right now, and the uh, the, the current issues between U.S. and Mexico are, are, are a combustionable mix, and and that's what I was uh, I wanted to 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 uh, again uh, exercise these words of caution that it. It creates the conditions for somebody who is going to come out from outside the traditional parties, um, outside the pre, outside the pan. Um, I think that AMLO, again, simply by uh, waving the bloody shirt, can whip up that um, that sort of nationalist uh, sentiment and make a convincing case to the electorate in Mexico that the traditional parties have failed the country um, and that uh, it's time for somebody new. Now, where have we heard that before? But I, I really think that, um, again, it, it is that is my biggest concern about the next uh, uh, year or so in, in the relationship. As, again, I hope that, that again, that we can... Um, we can sit down in in in, uh, in 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 sober negotiations between our two countries, and let's put put our, everything on the table. Let's work it out um, as partners and friends uh, can, and let's and let's move on. Uh, thanks, Jose. Uh, for everyone in the call, um, Jose has a hard stop at 2:45. We're gonna I'm gonna take one last question for Julio, but Jose, I'm gonna give you. Uh, take this opportunity to, to thank you for your perspectives and for joining this joining this call, um, and uh, look forward to further engagements with you. Appreciate your time. Thank you, uh, Jason, and uh, thank you, Julio, and uh, good luck to everybody. Okay, we'll take one last call, one last question here then from uh, Paula Stern, uh, who's a board member here at the Atlantic Council. Paula. Thank you. I had to unmute. Uh, and thank you for a really wonderful discussion uh, and pulling it together so rapidly uh, uh, to the Atlantic Council, Jason, Peter, etc. Um, my question goes back to um, the substantive uh, point uh, of where one might begin if you did get to the negotiating table. Most of the discussion so far has been about you know, the, the damage and the difficulty that will make it even more complicated uh, to get to the negotiating table. But um, starting with the TPP um, as one of the uh, ideas to update the NAFTA and uh, make it a win-win, I'd love to, to, to hear a little more elaboration on that. This is something which um, I've been pushing um, uh, in a uh, what I call making uh, lemonade out of lemons uh, blueprint for a new agreement between the three nations, which would be open to other nations, including potentially the TPP nations, um, if uh, after negotiating three countries, um, the standards uh, would be complied with. Um, the emphasis in the the uh, was on energy. Um, which has never been part of uh, the TPP or pretty much any WTO-related agreement. Um, I'm wondering if, if our um, 
uh, a speaker could uh, talk about the um, pros um, and feasibility of including energy in a uh, what I would call a, a, a great uh, economic bargain um, between the three nations that would be open to the rest of the world. Where's energy fit? Hi, well, thank you for the question. There were some, there were some uh, parts of the question where I couldn't hear you very good. But um, what what I would say uh, is that uh, I would say three things. One is that regarding NAFTA, it's a shame that uh, Canada and Mexico were not able to say back in December, regardless of what Mr. Trump wants to do or when, or once he comes to office. NAFTA will remain a treaty between Mexico and Canada. And, uh, and now Canadians, as, uh, at least what came out of the talks last week in Toronto, is that they're, they're willing to go back to a bilateral agreement. Um, and I bring NAFTA up because the same thing could have been done with at least some of the nations in TPP. I don't know if New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Mexico, maybe even Japan could have signed a small version of TPP or could have announced that they would eventually sign a smaller version of TPP. So, uh, so there's a clear message that we are for more integration, we're for open and free markets, and we're for uh, a different kind of world than what Mr. Trump is apparently wants to pursue. The same holds true for liber social liberties. And uh, I was happy to see the Canadians saying what they said, you know, and the images of uh, Minister Freeland with the, the Syrian refugees. Uh, the, we have to find and we have to look at this opportunity as a chance to reevaluate many of the things that didn't work because there's certainly inequalities and social inequalities that are profound and have to be addressed. There are issues regarding the environment that have to be addressed. Uh, there's issues regarding violence and uh, terrorism, insecurity that has to be addressed. But it's not by closing each of our, you know, each other doors and keeping everyone out of our nations, that that's going to be solved. And energy, going back to the last section of your question, energy has to be part of that equation. Certainly. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Julio. Thanks, uh, Paula, for the question. Uh, we, we want uh, like to wrap it up here. First of all, Peter and I uh, very much thank uh, all of you, all the nearly 200 people who listened to this call and joined us and for your excellent questions. And, uh, Julio, thank you very much for uh, for uh, providing the insights and doing so on such such short notice. Um, really, uh, very much appreciated. I think just to wrap this up, you know, we we here at the uh, at the Adrian Arts Latin America Center are uh, since we were started three years ago have been uh, uh, front and center on highlighting the importance of Latin America uh, for not only the U.S. Uh, but for the world and the importance of, of strong ties between the two regions and U.S.-Mexico ties are, of course, critical, and we are going to be continuing to provide uh, important perspectives 
um, uh, that dig beyond the headlines as we are in the midst of, uh, of a, a very uh, uncertain times. Um, the relationship on Mexico obviously has much broader implications all across the hemisphere. Uh, we cannot assume that uh, our friends in uh, Colombia or Peru or Argentina are not, are not watching what's happening on the U.S.-Mexico relationship, and not only in our own hemisphere, but but around the world. Um, so this is uh, much more than just a bilateral, uh, much more than just a bilateral discussion. So we will continue with these rapid reaction calls, and we've also started uh, to promote on social media a variety of, of, uh, of, of tiles that highlight different aspects of the U.S.-Mexico economic relationship. So, again, with that, uh, thank you all uh, very much for joining the call, and uh, look forward to the next time. Glad to participate. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's teleconference. You may now disconnect.